Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the whole forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the, the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and the brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without a delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, good morning, everybody. As I say, we're starting our new series in the book of Mark. Now, it's not every Sunday that the speaker steps onto the platform clutching a whiskey bottle container. But being the first speaker to follow the church weekend can be a bit daunting. However, this is not for Dutch courage. In fact, for the sake of the podcast, the bottle is empty. But I brought this along as a visual aid, highlighting that what one person says is not always what the other person hears. Now, does that happen in your family? Somebody says something and somebody else gets the wrong end of the stick? Well, about 10 years ago, my husband Colin and I were on holiday with my sister and her husband, in the highlands of Scotland. My sister and her husband are keen walkers, and they were walking around the local locks and through glens. My husband and I, not so keen on the long walks, more the slow saunter, but Colin does like an occasional drop of good whiskey, so we were touring the local distilleries. About halfway through the week, at 10 in the morning, Colin was in the lounge reading the newspaper, when my sister walked in and said, Glen Afrique, Colin? To which he replied, just a small one, thanks. Well, 
I fell about laughing because obviously what my sister meant was, Colin, do you fancy a walk around Glen Afrique? But what he heard was, Colin, do you fancy a glass of whiskey? When it was Colin's next birthday, they bought him a bottle of Glenfiddich, but very cleverly changed the label on it to read Glen Afrique. So I've kept it ever since because it amuses me. It makes me smile. So when you hear these words, being prepared, which is the title for today's talk, are you thinking action? You know, being prepared to boldly go, to get involved, to put your heart and soul into something? Or are you thinking that this is something that is being done to you, something passive? For example, the athlete is being prepared for the race by the coach. Well, today, as we've said, we're starting this new teaching series in the book of Mark, which will take us through to Easter. And in this passage, we see John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come, so he's preparing the way, and Jesus being prepared by the Holy Spirit for the ministry he was about to embark on. First of all, I'd like to just say a little bit about Mark, just a little bit, the author of this book. Now, Mark had a privileged background, but not in the worldly sense, not wealthy. But in the sense that his growing up years were spent in the early church. The disciples of Jesus, including Peter, met at Mark's mother's home. So he was able to hear the teachings of the apostles firsthand and listen to them recount all the times that they had spent with Jesus. Mark traveled with his cousin Barnabas and the apostle Paul on missionary journeys. And though he did leave Paul at one point and continued to travel with his cousin. Some years later, when Paul was in prison, they were reconciled, and Mark became a great help to Paul at that time. Also, Mark was close to the Apostle Peter, and it is believed that he acted as his secretary, and he wrote down all the things that Peter remembered about his Lord. And Mark's gospel was the first one to be written, so it is hugely important. Now, Mark begins by quoting a verse from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, saying that before the Messiah comes, there was to be a messenger preparing the way. And he goes on to show how John the Baptist fulfills that prophecy. So although John suddenly appears calling the people to repent of their sin, encouraging them to believe in the Messiah, believe that the Messiah was on his way, it is his role to prepare the way. But I suspect that John had been prepared right through his childhood for this job. Now, John's childhood was very different to that of the Lord Jesus. The two boys were born within months of each other, but their upbringing was very different. Jesus lived in the town of Nazareth. He had brothers and sisters. He worked with Joseph in his carpenter shop. He went to the local synagogue. Jesus had a normal family life. Whereas John's parents were elderly when he was born, he had no siblings to play with, and he lived out in the hill country. I imagine him as rather a solitary child. He no doubt instructed in the Old Testament scriptures by his father, Zechariah. And when John was reading all those prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, I'm sure that he knew he, somehow he was linked to that and to the coming of God's kingdom. His father had no doubt told him of the angel who had appeared before his birth and the angel's message that he, John, shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. But I have to say, I feel a bit sorry for John. The other 
followers of Jesus got to walk with Jesus. They got to spend time with him, to witness his miracles, and to listen to his teaching. Whereas John gets to prepare the way, and he gets to baptize Jesus, which was obviously an enormous privilege. But then as far as we know, John doesn't get to spend any time with Jesus. He just ends up in prison and is beheaded. I suspect that John would not feel sorry for himself at all because he thought nothing of himself. He was a man of true humility. In his message in verse 7, he says, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. G.K. Chesterton said that only a secure person can be humble. And John embodied this idea, for he was secure and confident in his calling, but he was also humble. So there he is on the riverbank, denouncing the people, calling them a brood of vipers, challenging them all to repent of their sins and prepare for the coming of God's kingdom on the earth by being baptized. In my mind, I imagine him to be a bit like Brian Blessed, you know, that sort of booming voice. And then suddenly, he looks up, and there is Jesus at the edge of the water and moving towards him. And Jesus just looks straight at him, and then he knew, because this is the moment that all of his life's preparation had been for. The Messiah had come. And in John's gospel, we learn that John said, I told you plainly that I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. The best man is simply glad to attend him. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. The story is told of a great artist who painted a picture of the Lord Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. But when someone remarked on some exquisite detail in the painting, he took his brush and dashed over it so that nothing would detract from the central figure of the Christ. And I suspect that John would heartily endorse that action. In fact, if he were to walk onto this platform now, he would probably be saying, Heather, that is enough about me. Now move on and tell them about Jesus. But before we move on to the next few verses, just one quote from one of my favorite old books. It's called The People's Life of Christ. And says, Jesus told his followers that in Israel's long history from Abraham and Moses through the prophets to the present time was one long preparation, one long getting ready time. Now the preparation was over and the reality dawned. John was the greatest among the preachers, but even the most insignificant person who was accepting God's kingdom and living by it was greater, simply because they were living in the time of the fulfillment rather than a time of preparation. John was a humble, obedient man. Andrew Murray said, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Now we're turning to the second part of our reading today, which is the baptis baptism and temptation of Jesus as he goes off into the wilderness. And when I was preparing this and thinking about it, you know, I did the bit about John and then I was going to move on to talking about Jesus. And you know, I just stopped. And the pen, I like to write things by hand. Uh, the pen was just poised in midair and it was a bit like that mannequin challenge that's going on at the moment. 
because it's such a responsibility to speak of Jesus. He is so amazing, and it's how to do him justice. Mark doesn't tell us a great deal about the baptism of Jesus or about the temptation in the wilderness. We learn more of that from the other gospel writers. But when John and the Lord saw that dove descending and that voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, in you I am well pleased, that must have been a truly unforgettable moment for them both. But next we see Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus is God. He's also fully human. So this time of temptation was very real. We know from the Bible that he was sinless. But temptation is not sin. It's only sin if we give in to the temptation. And Jesus went through this time so that he can know exactly what it feels like to be us. And because of he overcame, with his help, so can we. So the next time somebody is really unkind to you, or they hurt your feelings, or something goes really wrong, and you're just tempted to hit back, remember, you know, Jesus overcame, we can overcome, and we can have that victory by submitting to the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it's always easy, but we can do it. Hebrews chapter 4 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews 7, it says, Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. So whatever you're facing at the moment, whatever comes in the new year, Jesus is able to understand and he is able to save. Now we're moving on to the last few of our verses, which is the calling of the first disciples. Verse 14 tells us that by this time, John was in prison and Jesus had begun his ministry. He's just walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee when he calls two fishermen to follow him, Simon and his brother Andrew. And a little further on, he calls James and his brother John. And it says at once they followed him. That doesn't sound like much, does it? At once they followed him. But you know, the world was changed that day. Those rough young fishermen were the first of countless numbers of followers down through the ages, of which we are also a part of that. There was something so compelling about the Lord Jesus that they didn't hesitate. And so he began preparing those followers to continue his ministry after he had left the earth. Their time of preparation had begun. They and we are fishers of men. But I'd like us to think this morning about how is God preparing us and what is he preparing us for? The Bible tells us that there are good works prepared in advance for us to do and we've all been given specific gifts. However, I think the saying is true that we should bloom where we are planted. You don't have to be sitting waiting for some specific good work that's prepared just for you. We can all show kindness and thoughtfulness to those around us. There are always opportunities to be showing God's love. Just, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that we are wanting to see souls saved, that we are fishers of men. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity points out that those Christians who do the most for this world are those most concerned for the next, that being just concerned for this world actually renders us quite ineffective. 
If we do just good works and fail to introduce them to Jesus, people will just think what nice people we are and they'll just carry on to a lost eternity without God. Romans 8.29 says that it's God's plan that we should be conformed to the likeness of his son, the Lord Jesus. We can be changed to be more like him. But how? How is he going to do that? Romans 12 says, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that involves spending time with God, meditating on him, reading the Bible and prayer. I know as well, that isn't always easy. Sometimes it can be a bit boring even, but it's worth persevering. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I am praying, but nothing much is happening. Well, I was thinking that in the middle of last year after spending a few days with my sister, who says that she is a confirmed atheist. Now, my sister and I love each other, but I was despairing when I got home. But when I prayed, God said, invisible things are happening. So although we don't get instant answers to prayer, don't give up because invisible things are happening. And if our prayers are not in accordance with God's will, then God will work to change us. We are being transformed slowly but surely as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. Craig Groeschel said, beware at looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something you have never been. I'm going to say that again because he said, beware of looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something you have never been. But that being conformed to the image of Christ often involves suffering, troubles, and trials. Jesus had to endure the cross before the resurrection. We're told to rejoice when these things come our way. Many years ago, we had an elder in this church who used to say that life's problems can either make you better or bitter. And last Friday evening at our church weekend, Jeff Lucas spoke to us about the Jerusalem church and how it went supernova. And he pointed out to us a verse in Acts 11 where the church was going through a time of real persecution. I mean, the church had been scattered out of Jerusalem. The people had lost family, they'd lost friends, they'd lost their homes, everything. And yet, the Bible says the Lord's hand was with them. I've never noticed that before. Time of great persecution, and yet the Lord's hand was with them. They were suffering, not because they'd done anything wrong, not because they were being punished or judged, but because of God's purposes. When Fanny Crosby was six weeks old, she developed a cold and her eyes were inflamed. A doctor prescribed the wrong medication and she went blind. Now that would be enough to make anybody bitter. She lived until she was 95, had one child in infancy who died, and she wrote over 8,000 hymns, including Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, or what a foretaste of glory divine. And once a minister said to her that it was a pity that God had not given her the gift of sight, to which she replied, if I had been given a choice at birth, I would have asked to be blind, to be the For when I get to heaven, the first face I will see will be the face of the one who died for me. Now, there are not many of us who could say that or whose faith is like that. But to just say that, when I get to heaven, the first face I will see will be the face of the one who died for me. The problem for many today 
is an entitlement mentality. I have a right to a smooth, peaceful, problem-free life. But peace doesn't mean freedom from all pain and problems, but it does mean that with Christ we will not go under. No matter what struggles we may be facing, we have the assurance that everything turns out right in the end. Any one of us might find before the end of this year, our life has turned upside down in ways that we never expected. But God entrusts our circumstances to us as that essential element in the maturing process. Just before Christmas, my granddaughter's husband was made redundant from his job. Now, they're a lovely young Christian couple with a little baby. It was a real blow because he'd left school without qualifications and the firm he was working for had seen real potential in him and they'd offered him an apprenticeship. They sent him to North Tyneside College on day release. He passed all of his exams. He only had a few months to go on his apprenticeship and now he's back at the beginning again. So on the morning, I got the message from my granddaughter and had spent some time praying I went up to Matlan, and God has very strange ways of speaking to us, because as I walked into Matlan, there was a T-shirt on the rail with the slogan on the front saying, everything happens for a reason. Now, I mean, how odd is that? You've just been praying about something, and then it says, everything happens for a reason. Now, he has got a job, I have to say. It's not marvelous, but it's, it's enough to pay the bills, so it's good. But it's 20 years now since Colin and I lost our business and our home. But I can honestly say that God has never let us down. We do experience life's problems, but we are not alone. God has selected a journey for us, and we are to walk it in faith, knowing that it's part of God's purposes, enabling us to grow into the person that God is inviting us to be. Our love relationship with Jesus at the moment is like an engagement but there is going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will be with him forever. And as Fanny Crosby wrote, this life is just a foretaste of glory divine. So I'd like to close this um, talk with a, a quote from a man called Jeremiah Burroughs. And he said, before the soul sought after this and that, but now it says, I see that it is not necessary for me to be rich, but it is necessary for me to make my peace with God. It is not necessary that I should live a pleasurable life in this world, but it is absolutely necessary that I have a pardon for sin. It is not necessary that I should have honor and preferment, but it is necessary that I should have God as my portion and have my part in Jesus Christ. It is necessary that my soul should be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to just ask the band if they'd come back up now. And if, if you know that your soul is not saved, if you're not sure about that, if you're here today and you're not really sure that you have that relationship with Jesus, please do stay and have a chat with somebody. Do stay, have a cup of coffee and have a chat with people. Thank you. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk.
please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes. 